and welcome back to Bombato, the Scandinavian La Liga podcast. My name is Lee Roden, I think. Your name is Alexandra Jonsson, I think, but I'm not entirely sure because I'm not sure I remember how to do anything. How you doing, man? <laughs> I'm doing well. Uh, new thing this to to record podcasts and talk about football. Uh, I think that is a sport where you kick a football, a ball, round object or something like that. I don't really remember. It was a while ago. Yeah, I've actually started this week and last week. I played football for the first time in a long time, and my body felt it big time. And I don't know if that's just age or if it's just like the amount of time that's passed. But it was almost like a physical representation of the the mental process I'm going through right now, where I'm trying to remember anything about football and how to record podcasts for that matter. Yeah, we're not really allowed to play football here yet, so I'm a bit jealous that you even could do that. Uh, even though La Liga is starting on lower levels, contact sport, I think is not allowed yet. We just entered phase three. So many phases here in Spain. It's it's a bit confusing uh, if you're not in it. But uh, so it's a lot of rules and restriction, what you can do, what you can't do. And then they changed and now it's a Monday. So that means all of these things are going to happen, blah, blah, blah. But I think I'm pretty sure that we're not yet allowed to do to play football if we're not playing like La Liga or Segunda. But yeah, the good news is, and I'm sure it hasn't flown past anyone's head, is that La Liga finally is back tomorrow night with nothing less than the Seville Derby. So we felt it was only right for us to resume Bombato and bring you what I believe is now episode 30, which is kind of crazy. I mean, it's also kind of crazy. I was thinking it's June 10th. So if the world was normal, I would be preparing or I would be on my way to Euro 2020 in Copenhagen. Uh, it isn't. <laughs> I'm not in Copenhagen. And there's been no real football, at least no Spanish football for several months now. But that's over. I wanted to ask you, like, generally, how do we feel about the, the league being back without fans and also like the way it's being played? Because it's all kind of squeezed in now between what 11th of June and 19th of July. So, so me personally, because I love watching football, I'm very excited and it's going to be very fun to, to get football back. And even if it's not going to be the same, it's never the same when you don't have fans in the stands. It's not going to be the same on the pitch either because the teams are not as physically prepared as they normally are. It's going to be more towards friendly uh, kind of level in that sense, I think. But it's still a Liga we talk about. It's still incredible talent. And I'm pretty sure we're going to get to enjoy it quite a lot. And I think it's going to be more goals than normal. Yes, because of the way the teams are. So that could be quite fun. Uh, but but yeah, obviously, it's it's going to be different. And there is the football without fans is nothing we say. And and it's, it's a different sport, to be honest, without the fans. And it's going to be a big change. Uh, but the, with how it is with football every day I think it's going to be fun I think it's going to be a little bit like when there's a World Cup or a Euro and the way you watch that and follow it because that's also normally during the summer um, and so that's going to be it's going to feel more like a tournament in a sense I think than actually a league uh, so I, I actually am quite excited about that yeah, I mean, the, we've obviously seen a little bit of what might happen thanks to the, the Bundesliga in particular and, and how football without fans can play out. And then, of course, there's all kinds of questions about what happens to home advantage and things like that. We'll come back to that. But above all, I think like the most important factor for me is going to be the weather. 
I mean, we're in we're in June and we're in July in Spain, and okay, it's warm more or less across the board. But if you're in the the south of Spain or if you're in Madrid and around about this time of the year, it starts to get insufferably warm and like even at night. So I'm intrigued to see what kind of impact that plays on players who are already perhaps not at peak fitness. You would assume, I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert, so maybe I'm wrong, but I would assume that the, the weather is going to take its toll and we might even see games a little bit slower than what we would be used to a couple of months ago. I mean, we'll soon find out. I definitely think so. And one thing I started to think about that I haven't thought about until basically today is Will the weather question uh, actually be an advantage for some of the teams from the south who, even though like the weather is going to be extremely warm down there, but even when we play football in September and August, they have, have, have it really, really hot and they have that in training as well. So it's going to be warm all over the country. It's going to be really warm uh, at basically all of the matches, except for, for some if it's going to be, because we always have bad weather even in summer, even in Spain, I think. Um, so the question for me a little bit is, can that be an, an advantage uh, for the teams in the South that, that has that those uh, circumstances already in training that has it normally during August and, and September that that than for the team in the north. I also wonder as well if you're if you're in Bilbao, for example, you're not going to get quite the extreme temperatures that you get in Andalusia, and I, I wonder if that may also turn out to be an advantage for for Athletic or for teams up in the Basque Country. I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Like we should get pretty evidence pretty quickly um, over these next few weeks. Yeah, the the thing is with the situation is that we've never lived it before. Uh, no one has a clue what's actually going to be the advantage or the disadvantage in many different ways. We speculate it's going to be this, it's going to be this, maybe it will be this. But we have, no one really has a clue. Uh, we will have to wait and see and what is actually the, the advantages and disadvantages coming into this. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that theme, but I think it's probably worth reminding everyone, not least ourselves, where the sort of key sections of the table stood before this break. Um, Barcelona are top two points ahead of Real Madrid. And then you have Sevilla and Real Sociedad making up the top four, but Getafe and Atletico Madrid are really close behind fourth, so it's really tight there. Espanyol, much as they have been for most of the season, are rock bottom. And then Lega Mallorca make up the relegation zone with Celta just safe, I think, by one point, but by a narrow margin anyway. So it's tight at the top, it's tight at the bottom, especially around the relegation zone. There's so much to play for and so much that's going to be decided over such a short period, which as a spectator and as a journalist, it's really exciting for me anyway to see how this crazy experiment pans out and how it affects those big stories of the season. I mean, it's it's really one of the most exciting La Liga uh, tables in in recent years, and it was so even before this this break. Um, and now we're gonna see all this unfold in a very new, like as they they call it here a little bit in Spain, the new league in a new league uh, type of, um, and that is gonna be be really interesting. And it's not it's not going to be probably not going to be the same factors as normally when we take the relegation battle where the the teams that has the best home support normally gets an advantage because of that because it becomes so important uh, in this battle um, and things like that that's now just out out of it so it's it's going to be be really interesting and really hard to predict how, how things are going to go both at at the, at the top and at the bottom um, so it, it's just going to be, be quite fun, though. But, uh, but yeah, exciting. 
Uh, we are, of course, a Scandinavian La Liga podcast with the emphasis on La Liga, but also the emphasis on the Scandinavian. So it seems like an appropriate time to resume Alexander Jonsson's patented Scandi rap on uh, Bombazo. So where are we at? Where are the, the Scandinavian talents in Spanish league, uh, at least before the, the unexpected pause started? So I guess the one we, we talked the most about in this podcast probably is Alexander Isak, who have had this season, maybe the biggest breakthrough of all players in La Liga, one of the biggest at least. Um, and he he was a little bit on a downward, that might be a little bit too harsh to call it still. Um, Spyro, when, when we ended it, he had been scoring goals in so, so many matches and then he had a few matches without goals, uh, which isn't that surprising, but that's where we were. And it felt like Imanol was starting to change a little bit from first having had William Jose as the starter player and then having had Alexander Isak as a starting player, um, it felt at the end of this that he was starting to to switch more between the two, uh, depending on who the opponent were. We had William Jose starting at Mirandes, for example. Um, and I think that's what we're going to see as well when we start up back up, that he's going to go around on them a lot as well with a lot of games coming up. It's going to be a lot of rotations in many teams. But there, I think uh, Real Sociedad has an advantage because they've already kind of started that since before. And both of them are in really good form. And I think Isaac is going to be super important for Real Sociedad this season. Moving on in the same team, we have Odegaard, um, who started the season extremely well, uh, probably better than any other team player in the entire league uh, then had a little bit of a dip and I think we felt like he was on the way back up again and when we talk about a dip he still was incredible during those matches as well he's not as good as he had been in, in the start of it uh, so he he was looking good as well uh, so that's the the two main ones um, then in, in Valencia there's not that much to say about Daniel Vaz. Uh, there's not that much to say about Valencia. But, <laughs> but Vaz was there. He did his thing. Um, nothing extraordinary. Nothing to criticize either, basically. Um, and then, obviously, we were at Camp Nou and saw Barcelona, Real Sociedad as the last game we saw before everything ended. And uh, Martin Bratwa was incredible in that, that match, I think. I think he was the key for Barcelona in winning that match. Um, in, in, in how he played. So he was in, in really good form and starting to, to make a name for himself a little bit at, at Barca and showing that he was a right signing. Um, and the last one is another day and it's Pionicisto. <laughs> Basically, don't oh, have much, much to say about his football. Uh, but when this all started, he decided to uh, jump into his car because he couldn't fly. So he drove all the way back to Denmark and this was not approved by Celta or about by La Liga but he did that uh, so when the players went back to training here in Vigo they did so without Sisto because he went back to training in Denmark and it's not like he went to a football pitch to train like you could have expected him to do he went out in his backyard and with garden and he shooted videos of his training sessions or parts of them and he was basically very uncut grass with flowers in it and, and things like that. It looked horrible. Um, so he did that for a while, but he's returned to, to Vigo's in, in training with everyone again. Sisto gonna Sisto. I don't know if we if we mentioned that the last time we did one of these was two months ago now, which is incredibly incredible. So I'm, I'm not sure if that happened yet, but yeah. And so you've actually started to get to the next subject I was going to bring up, bring up which was who are our 
potential winners and our potential losers from this break. And uh, I think that in the case of Martin Brathwaite, I think he has, well, it's, it's hard to judge, but I think he has a lot to gain from the break. He's had more time now to, to study his new club that he joined very much at the last minute. He's had now more time to work with his coach to get to know his teammates. So I think from someone who's, I think, exceeded expectations and how quickly he hit the ground running at Barcelona, there is there's a chance for him now to do even better because he's had more time to integrate into his environment. Of course, Luis Suarez being back is... Uh, a difficulty you could say is no longer like an unchallenged spot at centre forward but there are signs that he can play in other positions too on the wing so I'm not sure that'll be a huge problem for him and then uh, in general for the I mean it's easy for us to forget with the Alexander Isak in mind how new he is to La Liga again because he done he exceeded expectations and did so well since he moved last summer but again more time to work with Imanol more time to get to know his teammates to learn more of the language to better understand the things that are going on around him I, I think could benefit him and also just breaking that small if we're not going to call it a downturn we can call it a plateau if you like to use the epidemiologist's uh, phrase that we're hearing a lot he, he wasn't neither getting better or worse I would say for a few weeks so it's not necessarily a bad thing for him um, what about you do you have anyone any coaches clubs players in particular that you think will either benefit or suffer from this pause I think uh, if we start with Real Sociedad that we're on I, I think it's really interesting first when I was starting to think about this I was thinking that maybe it would be a disadvantage for them that they have such a young squad because they have the youngest team in La Liga maybe you know not having the experience but the fact is that no one has the experience for what we're what we're facing um, and I was having a chat with a friend in, in San Sebastian, a local journalist there. And then after that, I realized that I think that Real Sociedad might actually be the team that, that has the biggest advantage going into this. One of those reasons being because they have such a young team, um, which means that physically they are in a better state than most other teams. They, there's going to be a lot of injuries going back. And I think the older players you have, the more injury prone they're going to be. So having a young team in that sense is a big advantage. Uh, adding to that, Real Sociedad have quite a big squad. They have basically two players per position. Um, they have done quite a lot of rotations already this season. We just, we talked about William Jose and Alexander Isak, who's going back and forth, but it's been on, on several positions. They have had so many players who've been in form and been so good this season. They're going into it with a really good confidence. Um, and and also from from what I heard from from my friend from Miguel Raquel, is his name uh, in San Sebastian, is that they have a very clear set goal going back into this, uh, which is to end third in La Liga. They don't want to end fourth. They want to end third, and they really believe in themselves that they're gonna gonna be able to take that spot. Uh, so I think there's a lot of things around Real Sociedad that speaks for them. Maybe they one disadvantage could be not having the fans because they've had really really good home support this season. Um, and then maybe it, it will in some way be a disadvantage to have a young squad as well. We, like I said before, we don't really know. But overall, it feels like they're in a really, really good situation going back into it. Um, looking at someone I think might suffer a bit is Deportivo Alaves. I think there is a risk that Alaves will be down in the relegation battle when, when the battle becomes really, really harsh uh, at the very end of this. And the reason for that is that they're so strong at home. They, if you look at statistics from, from their games, most of, of their wins and points are taken at home. And that comes a lot from the supporters that they have, which are very significant for Alaves, which they won't have. And then the second point on Alaves is that they are a quite physical team. They win much because of will, much because of, of how well trained they are. 
And coming back from a break like this, I think the teams that play more football, that used have the ball more, are going to be in an advantage, while the teams that normally play quite physically uh, will be in a disadvantage. So I'm afraid that Alaves might be a team that will be, be struggling a lot. Yeah, that one's going to be fascinating to see, I think, because then we'll we'll find out as well the teams that are maybe more physical, who do more running than the other teams, um, how capable they are of adapting to the new conditions around them. Are they capable? Do they have the players? Do they have the coaching even to maybe slow down a little bit and put their foot on the ball? Not least Atletico Madrid, for example, I think probably can just about manage it. Um, but the question that you touched on as well, I think it's going to be massive is the what happens with home advantage or away disadvantage even. Because there's two sides to that coin. So teams like, a, not least Alaves, you mentioned, but Atletico Madrid who have had terrible away form for quite a long time, at least, at least in the league. What happens now when is their home advantage going to erode when there's no fans there to cheer them on? Or is it the case that when they go on the road now and they go to empty stadiums, well, it's the same conditions more or less as when you're playing at home home with the difference of like control over the grass level and things like that does that does it even out does it change that that gap I don't know I I I don't know either but I think it will be very different for different teams I think for some teams it will be better this way Uh, but for some teams like for example Alaves I think Valdlid could be another team like that or Usasuna who has a very very good home uh, homes public uh, home fans so to say that are historically really really important for them and where they take a lot of energy from uh, I think those teams are gonna suffer but then you have a team like Celta for example who I think have good support and home support but they have a stadium that makes uh, that that support doesn't get out there in the same way so it depends on the stadiums as well which makes that they are more used to it not being that explosive uh, so maybe for them it won't be as big of a problem uh, so I think that that is going to be very different for, for different teams that depending on, on how much they take energy from having their fans or how much they are affected by the opponent's fans as well. I think Celta definitely have the potential. I'm surprised we haven't touched on it actually to, to benefit from having more time with Oscar as well. Yeah, a coach who sure. plays a kind of football that demands a lot, depends a lot of attention, a lot of detail. He's had way more time than he would have expected without competitive matches to work on his uh, routines and his, his coaching with his players. And I think that could really do them well. I suspect that they might actually come out better from that in that regard. And that's that's going to be a big factor, I think, in general, the teams who have had changes of coaches. Barcelona, for example, as well, who had a mid-season change of coach, now have had time to to really dig in and almost like a pre-season, if you like. I mean, if not okay with not not so much in terms of training and matches but at least in terms of getting the details and information to them and you know they'll all have had constant contact with their coaches even when they weren't doing group training or even when they weren't training with their clubs so it'll be really intriguing I think to see what the consequences of that might be for for the teams that had a change mid-season in particular. Yeah for sure I, I've been thinking about about Celta as well and and the time they they now have gotten with Oscar and and more than that as what we talked about before in this podcast as well how much it affected the players at Celta, this entire thing with, with the, the coach changing uh, so many times and uh, how mentally almost depressed. I was talking to some Celta journalists just yesterday and they used the word like this squad was depressed. Um, and that's basically what they were for quite a long time. And when Oscar took over, uh, like we've discussed before as well, it felt like it, it wasn't just the football that he needed to change. It was the mental state of the players and that mental state was way worse than most of us could expect. That it's easy to say that looking at the squad, that Celta should have done so much better this season. 
uh, than they've done with the signings and everything. But if you, you go down to the deep problems and you really look at, at those kind of things, it kind of expected the way it's gone. And it's almost impressive how Oscar started to turn it around. And to have this this time, I think, also has been good in the sense of uh, changing the way the players think and maybe get some more confidence into them because it did end on a quite good note, even if I think it was two zero zero draws, the two last games, uh, the last one being away against Quetzalcoatl, which is a difficult ground. But on in in the play they played, you could see big differences, and I think going into this break in that situation was good for them and to to be able to work on that state. Like had had this happened. A few months earlier, I think Celta would be one of the teams struggling the most with this happening because of the mental state they were in. Uh, but now I think that just benefited them. Uh, one thing I think is worth keeping an eye out for as well, because we've already seen some evidence of it from reports from trainings, is like sort of significant dramatic tactical changes among teams who coaches have maybe now had this time to sit and look at their team and see where the momentum was going, see where the problems lay or might have lied and uh, decided, okay, this is what we're going to change. I think one thing that's like super fascinating is, I don't know if you saw that Atletico Madrid have been testing Marcos Llorente as a, a second striker in training in the last couple of days. And it seems to, it wasn't just a one-off, it was quite consistent. And the, the idea seems to be that Simeone thinks he can replicate the sort of Raul Garcia role that he played so well when they won the league title, the sort of half midfielder, half supporting striker. Um, and not least because of what happened, obviously, at Anfield against Liverpool, where he, he scored two really well-placed goals. He seems to think, Cholo seems to think that that could be a solution to some of their problems in the attack. So I'm really intrigued to see if we see more things like that, more coaches saying, no, actually, we, we can try this. This is an alternative we have. I think Barcelona, you might see a lot more of a back three with, at least that's the expectation I have because of what Setien tends to favour in that regard. So I'm, I'm super, super excited to see if we can see some kind of sort of dramatic change in how the team's actually play compared to before the break maybe i'll be disappointed i don't know maybe it'll be more of the same but i have a, I have a feeling that the, the time will have been put to good use in that regard I, th I think that that's a really good point and i think the coaches are benefiting of this situation well when the players are not the players are getting back in less physical form and all of these things but for the coaches uh, for several reasons one of the reasons being that they have had more time to think about tactical things they have been able uh, I guess they will have have been talking to the players during this this lockdown and they've been able to communicate different ideas and, and and things like that but also because of playing without fans the coaches voices are actually going to be heard on the pitch in a way that they normally are not uh, so I think coming back to this one of the the advantages will be for the teams that have the best coaches I think we will see um, more than the normal uh, when it comes to the tactical way of football, uh, what coaches are are stronger and it's going to be more of a coach battle than it would normally be because the, the coaches has more um, more what's it called uh, way communication of, yeah way of, way of uh, uh, of changing the game uh, in, a, in another way and, and putting it in, in the way they want it to be even though it's the players who play the football but I think the coaches are going to be more involved than, than normal because of this break substitutions are going to be absolutely key as well with the role that they'll play I think the expanded role that they're going to play um, but yeah it all starts on Thursday night with uh, the Seville Derby which I don't know about you it's such a strange game to start not I mean there's no it's not like this could have been conditioned in any way, but to me, probably the game I associate most with fans in Spanish football is the game that we're first going to see without fans in the top flight. 
and it's such a weird thing to get my head around but then maybe it's also like an it's you know that thing when you're in the summertime when you go for your first like swim in the water and like instead of like putting one toe in it's better just to jump in it's like okay maybe we just better go in head first and get used to this idea and if there's one game that will really make us used to it pretty quickly it's probably that one um i'm really excited about it but i also can't not think about i mean last year you and i were at this very game and it's, it's an incredible experience that probably everyone should uh, if they get a chance in their life to see one game in spain it's the one i think that people should uh, take in and it's going to be quite strange to see it unfold in an empty arena no, but like the Sevilla Derby is so much about the fans. Uh, it's, it's the atmosphere. It's a hostile atmosphere. It's that the fans make a big, big part, almost a bigger part than the football does uh, of what the Sevilla Derby is. But with all of that said, I still think it's the best possible way to start this with because it's a game that still makes people really, really excited. It makes the people in Sevilla really excited. Um, and it's... Even though uh, we don't have the the fans, it's still going to be so important for the two teams uh, to win this game. And for them, it's still a Sevilla derby. Um, it's obviously going to be less uh, less level in when it comes to the physical, as we've already been talking about. Uh, but I think that is just going to, as we also seen in, in the Bundesliga, that there's been a lot of goals because of that. And I think in a, in a Sevilla derby, that will definitely happen because it's two teams that want to win this game so much. Um, and it's going to be so much about willpower, but at the same time, as you don't have that physical power that you normally do. Uh, and I think that's probably going to result in quite a lot of mistakes and quite a lot of goals. But it's going to be an interesting game. And I think it's it's the best way to try to start to start La Liga up and try to get the, the excitement going about La Liga, even though... We don't have that element of the, of the supporters and stamps. I really hope that, that some of the TV companies, and I'm sure they've already thought of this, have sort of put some drone cameras in place in Nervion and in Heliopolis and in Seville, the two different neighborhoods for Seville and for Betis, for Sevilla and Betis respectively, because usually nine times out of ten, most people that are supporting that club are going to try and be at that game or at a bar near the stadium or at a bar in their, their own near their own stadium to see it. But now they're all going to be at home, so... The second one team scores, you're going to hear this crazy roar coming from all these apartments around the sort of different neighborhoods in Seville. And it'll be cool to document because it's going to be a quite unique experience. Hopefully it'll be a unique experience. Hopefully it's not one that we have to live again with another Seville derby in the future. Um, it's going to be odd. And I also think we, sh we should just point out like how important football is in Sevilla. Like football is really important in Spain. Football is huge in Spain. And I think for for, for a lot of people in Spain, it's, it's very important for football to come back, especially, especially during this kind of difficult time. But the south of Spain specifically often gets hit harder than anyone else when it comes to, to financial uh, troubles and stuff, uh, which are going to happen now because of the coronavirus. So there is a lot of, uh, a lot of hard, it, it's, it's hard times down in the south and uh, there's a lot of people struggling. And to get football back, which I think in, in Sevilla is the most important thing after religion um, and it's, it, it's just a city that lives for a football and it's going to be so important to just have that back so that they can focus for at least 90 minutes on something else. Um, and for that to, to start with the Sevilla Derby, I think it is, is quite, uh, quite big and quite important for, for Sevilla as a city and, and for the people. So it's much more than, as always with Spain, it's much more than just the football itself. Of course, yeah, the culture is so intertwined with it and then the different regional cultures and then the different cultures from the different uh, clubs within the different regions. There's so much to unpack. 
Thursday night, not long now, and it'll all start. And then we begin this crazy sprint to the finish line for La Liga. I am really excited. I'm also slightly terrified about how we're going to manage to keep on top of it all. But we'll see. Everyone else is in the same boat. Uh, any closing thoughts, thoughts, Alexander, before we finish? I just called you Alexander. That's quite weird. It sounds like I'm a super, teacher or something. Super Alexander. strange. <laughs> super strange to leave Roden. Uh, <laughs> Closing, but I just—it's just going to be so fun to to have football back. Um, and I think that we haven't really gone into to any depths on uh, on the teams, the Sevilla, Sevilla and Betis today. But we we're, we're gonna be doing that for sure later on. Um, this is a Scandi podcast. They need to sign some Scandi players if they want more exposure. <laughs> hint, hint. Uh, Sevilla have really dropped the ball in that regard. Actually, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and um, and I mean, Betis might not want so much Swedish players after Juliano Mullins, a big legend in Malmo, though. <laughs> but we, we can talk. We can talk about that another time. No, uh, it's just gonna be really fun to to get football back, and and we're gonna have a lot to talk about on on these podcasts going going forward because we we're, we're gonna keep them once a week uh, just to make it manageable. But there's gonna be a lot of football that has taken part in between each podcast. Uh, or in each episode um so this is it's, it's gonna be fun it's exciting and then at the end of the season we get a month's break and we do it all over again more or less <laughs> exactly all right so i guess the only remaining thing to say is enjoy the football guys and uh, we'll see you soon hasta luego hasta luego